0: It is great to have everybody together like this, isn't it? Awesome. Yep. Hate to interrupt you, but right after service, you can go back out and uh, pick up right where you left off. How's that? Let's continue to worship the Lord now as we enjoy His Word together and the truths of the resurrection. I'll invite you to take your Bible or your iPad or your phone, whatever you're packing today, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, chapter 24, is where you'd want to be. Luke chapter 24. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and uh, Ron is in the back and be glad to supply you with a copy of God's Word. Get it good and high so Ron can see that. Good. And there's a note page, if you don't know the drill, there's a note page in your bulletin and we'd invite you just to pull that out because that'll be of some help along the way. The humorous story is told of two friends who were sharing lunch together one day and is often the case Uh, conversation just rambled but one of them had attended a funeral a few days before and so inevitably things moved in that direction at one point this fellow who had attended the funeral says so what would you like people to say about you at your funeral and his friend practically without any hesitation said well that depends would my funeral be an open casket or a closed casket service?" And his buddy was kind of caught off guard and he says, well, what does, what does that have to do with anything? Well, says the other, if it's a closed casket service, I would like them to say that he was a great husband. He was a, an incredible father. Uh, he, he really had his priorities right. He was a wonderful role model, generous to a fault, a likable guy and a good friend. And his buddy nodded affirmingly. Oh, okay. And and if it's an open casket service, then as folks are looking at me, I would like one of them to suddenly say, oh, wow, look, everybody look. He's moving. (laughs) He's moving. (laughs) In other words... He would prefer not to be dead at all. Look, he's moving. A silly little story. It came to my mind, though. tells you how my mind works. But it came to my mind as I was reflecting on this special day that we would have together and reflecting on the Lord Jesus whom we are celebrating. I actually thought this thought. I wonder how Jesus would answer that question What would you like someone to say about you on the occasion of your death? How would Jesus answer that question? It occurred to me, without much thinking though, that I don't have to wonder about his reply. Because on the pages of Holy Scripture, it is actually recorded what he wanted us to know about him. What he would want those around him to say about him on the occasion of his death. Your Bible is open to Luke 24. Allow me to read, and I'll begin at verse 1. And it reads like this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Jesus, what would you like someone to say on the occasion of your death? His answer I want them to say, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he is risen. Christ is risen. Yeah, you were there. You were there. You're on the game. But that is really what Jesus wants everyone in the world to say, right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. I am honored. I'm grateful this morning that it falls to me to help us rally around uh, the glorious truth of Jesus risen indeed. And to help us do that today, I am going to ask a question of my own as you see it there on that little note page uh, that you took from your bulletin. And the question I'm going to put before us this morning is this one. What are we celebrating today? What are we celebrating today? What is it that that causes us to gather in this place and do what we are doing this morning? We're going to ask that question, and certainly not exhaustively, but we're going to seek to answer this question. Because there are many, many people in our world today who really do not know what this day is truly about. In our culture, just about everyone has grown up with this annual event that we call Easter. Just about everyone can give some kind of an answer to the question, what are we celebrating today? But would they be able to supply a correct answer, a right answer? Maybe, In this room, many would. Perhaps some would not. But let's imagine there being someone who had never heard of Easter, never heard of the resurrection, and they were suddenly set down right here in the midst of all of us. What might we say to them on this day if they were to ask us the question, what brings you guys together like this? What are you celebrating today? What would we say to them? We are celebrating and then we finish the sentence. You know, as I turn this question over, what are we celebrating today? It didn't take me long to realize that a, a single one-sentence response certainly would not suffice. In fact, I suppose a thousand sentences would, would not be sufficient to give us any kind of a real answer. And yet, though that is true, I think we can at least do this. I think we can set before ourselves some truths, four declarative truths, in fact, that taken together will provide an admittedly broad, but hopefully a helpful and clarifying reply to anyone who might be asking the question, what are you celebrating today here at Idlewild Bible Church? I think we can provide them with an answer. On your note page... We are celebrating a death that was no accident, a mourning with no mourning, a hope that lives and never ends, and we are celebrating a promise that can't be broken. Even though we might not have thought to express our celebration of Easter in quite this way, these four truths are really why we are here today. What are we celebrating? Well, let's tease that question out a little bit. First, we we celebrate today a death that was no accident. Would you agree with me in that? It might sound like an odd thing to say, especially on, on Easter morning, resurrection morning, that we would be celebrating death. We normally don't do that. We mourn death and we celebrate life. Most of the time, that would be true. But on this very special day, we do celebrate a death that was no accident. And we start here, and we start with this truth, because there can be no resurrection from the dead until there has first been a what? A dying. Until there's first been a death. We're all agreed, right? Yeah, there can be no Lord Jesus bursting forth Alive from the grave until there has first been a Lord Jesus who dies and is buried in a grave. And so our resurrection celebration starts with this truth. There can be no resurrection celebration until there has first been a crucifixion drama. So when we think of this day and what it means to us and what it means for us, we cannot reflect on it long before our minds must inevitably be drawn back to that cruel cross where the Lord Jesus died on that Friday afternoon before resurrection Sunday. We remember the unfolding scene, don't we? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying in anguish to his heavenly Father as he contemplated the cross. Father, take this cup from me. Not my will, though, but yours be done. We see the betrayer draw near in the garden and, and kiss Jesus on the, the cheek. And then the, the temple guards rush in and they, they take Jesus away as his disciples scatter like sheep. We see Jesus standing bound before religious leaders, before Governor Pilate, before King Herod, back to Pilate, mock trials all through the night. We picture the soldiers mocking Jesus, robing Him in purple and, and placing a crown of thorns upon His head, flogging Him till His back is torn and bleeding. We hear the Jerusalem crowd cry, Give us Barabbas! Give us that murderer! Crucify Jesus! Plodding through the Jerusalem streets, we see Jesus crumble beneath the weight of his cross no less than three times. And now we are with him on that little hill outside of the city wall known as the place of the skull and we hear the piercing ping of the iron spikes and we read the placard above Jesus' head the king of the Jews. The gloating priests, the mocking crowds, the gambling soldiers, the taunting criminal, the Abandonment by the Father in heaven of Jesus as he takes sin upon, our sin upon himself. And then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What a horrible, grievous, brutal scene. But friends, I tell you with a certainty... Even as we talk about it and as we pull up these images that remind us of it, there was for Jesus no regret in what he was enduring. The first truth we declare on this glorious day is that we celebrate a death that was no accident. We know this to be true because Jesus went to great lengths to ensure that his followers would know that his death for sinners was part of a a, a divine plan. Shortly before the crucifixion, Jesus was telling his disciples what was about to take place. And he says to them in John chapter 12, verse 27, these words. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Don't save me from it. You won't save me from it. This is why I'm here Jesus says my whole purpose for leaving heaven and putting on human flesh was so that I might come to this cross that I could be the the, the one right suitable substitute for sinful humanity. I was born that I might die for people lost in sin and condemned under its penalty. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 Jesus says I came not to be served but to what? To serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That was the redemption plan of God from before the world even was made. My sinless life, says Jesus, in the sinner's place. The ransom price demanded by my sin, by the world's sin, paid by me so that the sinner could be forgiven. I came to be a ransom. The cross was no accident In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, marvelous verse, the writer says, Let us fix our eyes, let us fix our gaze on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the the beginning and the end of our faith, who for the what? The joy set before him endured the cross. Was there actually joy for Jesus on that darkest of all days in the history of the universe? Was there joy? For him, apparently the writer of Hebrews under the inspiration of God's Spirit says so. What was this joy? Well, it would have been the joy of looking down through the corridor of time and seeing that great, great number of men and women and young people through the ages who would trust in his sacrificial death on their behalf receive forgiveness of all sin by placing simple faith in the power of His shed blood, and then the joy of sharing His heaven with those who believe forever and ever. When He was on the cross, what was the joy? It was all of that, wasn't it? His joy was you and me. What are we celebrating today? We're celebrating a death that was no accident. But secondly, we're celebrating a morning with no what? No mourning, no mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Our church family, we've not come here today on this glorious morning to weep, have we? We've not come here to to cry unless perhaps it's the tears of love gratitude for what Jesus has done. We are here to proclaim over and over and over again as loud as we can that Christ is risen. Is risen amen and amen. You know, the tombs of the great, the influential, the powerful, the good, the bad, they are, they are scattered throughout the whole earth. And, and all of those tombs this morning are occupied tombs. Every one of them. But we cannot say that about our Jesus, our Founder, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord, our King, our Friend. We cannot say that He's in a tomb because He's not in a tomb. He is risen. risen Amen. We come here this morning to rejoice, not to mourn. We come here this morning to praise, not to weep. We come here this morning to celebrate, not to cry. We gather to glory in the resurrection life of Jesus. Not rummage around in the dusty memories of of one who was once alive but is no more. We do not mourn this morning. Our Bibles capture a really interesting moment when one of its writers, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, considers what just some of the implications would be for you and me if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And his his ponderings are found in the, the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And here's what Paul writes, and I'll just summarize it for us. If Jesus be not risen from the dead, then the Apostle Paul says... He's in a grave somewhere right now. If there's no resurrection, He's in a grave. Secondly, the Bible is useless because it what? It lies to us. It tells us things that aren't true. If Jesus isn't risen, it's a book of lies. Thirdly, our faith is empty of any substance because it's faith in a dead man. And what is an empty faith if not faith in a dead man? Number four, we're still under the penalty of our sin because Jesus didn't pay for it. Our sin took him out, and it'll take us out too. A fifth implication of Jesus not rising from the dead, all who have died trusting in Jesus are what? They're bound for hell, not heaven. And last, he says, all of us living today who are trusting in Jesus are to be pitied more than all the other people on the planet Because we built our lives around and trusted in a dead man. Those are some pretty significant implications, aren't they? But unable to contain himself any longer, Paul in this chapter bursts out with these words in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15. But the truth is that Jesus has been raised up, the first in a long line of those who will not spend forever in death. How great is that? As the old hymn of the church sings that we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. We know that He is living whatever men may say, right? A morning with no morning. Allow me to take us to that morning once again, but from a different gospel than the one that your Bible is presently open to. You're open to Luke. Would you mind joining me in the gospel of Matthew? Same resurrection account, but from Matthew's perspective. And to get to Matthew, just go to the left, jump over Mark. You'll be right in Matthew, last chapter, 28. Here's what we read, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb, the tomb where Jesus had been laid. See the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples, He has risen from the dead. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with what? Filled with joy and ran to tell His disciples. These dear women come to the tomb of Jesus on Easter morning and they are mourning. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, aren't they? They are expecting to... To, to 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 treat Jesus body in the in the manner of the custom of the eastern peoples with spices and they're expecting a dead man in that tomb they leave with what joy rejoicing he is not here he is risen just as he said Christ is risen is risen indeed The psalmist of old has written these words, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Right? Well, so true for you and me today. What are we celebrating? Well, a death that was no accident, a mourning with no mourning. And to this we can also add that we are celebrating a hope that lives and never ends. Is that a great truth? A hope that lives and never ends. Church family, I'm I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. When I say that we live in a world that knows a lot about bad news and tragic endings, if we don't understand anything else as a as a as a people, we understand that. From whatever source you prefer to get your news feed, whether it's the internet or, or papers or radio or television, you know you expect that. When you open that newspaper or you tune into that news program, you are going to hear story after story after story that has a heartbreaking ending. The latest horrors unleashed by ISIS, for example. A routine airplane flight that turns terribly tragic. Perhaps a devastating natural disaster that that kills tens of thousands. Stories with heartbreaking, joy-robbing, hope-stealing endings. And if you do watch the evening news, isn't it interesting how the news producers know that it is very important that they end their news program with a light, touching, human interest story as the very last thing before the program ends? Why do they do that? Because it's been nothing but bad news, right? And tragic endings. How very different then is the reality here that we are celebrating? We remember the most horrific moment in the history of the universe, the death of Jesus for our sin, but we celebrate the fact that his story does not end in death and a grave. Our sin was not more powerful than Him. The grip of the grave could not hold Him. Christ is risen. And because that is true, we have not only hope today, brothers and sisters, we have a living hope, don't we? A living hope. Why? Why? Because Jesus lives, right? If you at some moment in your past placed your faith and your trust in the risen Lord Jesus, then you are living with a perspective on the present and the future of this world, but you are living it with a hope that the rest of the world does not have, truly. Your life is different. It's not necessarily an easy life, but your life is different because it, it, it has a hope that is alive. Jesus spoke, you heard his voice. You heard him say, My beloved, you were dead in your sin, but by faith in me, you are now alive and you will live forevermore. You once lived in darkness, but by trusting in him, you now live in the light. You were hungry and thirsty for a life of meaning and purpose, and he has given that to you because he lives. You were spiritually blind, but now you see you were a slave to an old way of living that was totally earthbound. But now you live in the freedom of life in Jesus Christ, who is alive. Once you lived in fear and uncertainty of what happens when this life is done. But by faith in Jesus Christ, you are not unsure about what happens when you step through death's door now. Absent from this body, at home with the Lord, because He lives. It was the Apostle Peter who wrote these words, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In the resurrection of Jesus, there is no bad news, no, no sad ending, only a hope that lives and never ends. What are we celebrating today? A death that was no accident. A mourning with no mourning. A hope that lives and never ends. And and the last truth there, we are celebrating a promise that can't be broken. The Holy Spirit captures one of the most powerful moments, I believe, in Jesus' earthly life in John chapter 11. He's standing outside the tomb of a very dear friend, if you remember this moment, his friend's name was Lazarus and and Lazarus has been dead for four days, and Jesus comes onto to the scene and he says to the mourners who are gathered there in John chapter eleven verse twenty five he says to them, "I am what? I am the resurrection, and I am life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die." Do you believe this? (laughs) Yes. This was the promise that Jesus made. If He's God, He can't break a promise, right? Jesus says, because I live, you live when you believe in Me. But those are just words. Unless Jesus does something to validate those words. To back them up and make them believable. So what does Jesus do in John 11? Well, immediately after saying these words, Jesus, standing outside the tomb of his four days dead friend, calls his name, Lazarus, come out. And what happened? Oh, Lazarus comes out of that term. He, he, out of that tomb. He emerges, bound in his grave clothes, but very much alive. Proof that Jesus' words are not empty words. I am the resurrection, and I am the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And yet, as great as that miracle is, by far the greatest proof that Jesus is a promise keeper is what proof? He is risen. He is, risen. He, is risen. he is risen. He is risen. Let's read it together, the, this verse, one more time. Uh, John 11, 25, 26. Let's read it together, church family. I am the resurrection and I am life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die Do you believe this? (laughs) I would submit that this is the most important question that any of us will ever be asked our entire life. This question. Do I believe that Jesus is life And that he is resurrection. The answer that I give to that question. Is the most important answer I will ever give to any question. Because my eternity. Your eternity. Hangs on our answer. Yes. It is a joy to invite now. uh, To come before you. As a wonderful part of our church family. A person in our church family. Kassan Hammond. And uh, we're going to get to hear Kassan's faith journey to believing this truth this morning. So, Kassan, we welcome you.
1: Good morning. It's a great pleasure to be up here Um, and share with you all. About a week ago, I sat down and I wrote out my testimony and I spent a lot of time talking about how I grew up and how I used to be before I was saved. And I ended it very excited and grateful for how far I had come. I wanted to show with my words how God changed me and took away all my old fears and insecurities. I read my draft, I saved it, I put it away, and I went out to enjoy the evening. And within a few hours, I was a mess. Old fears and insecurities popped up out of nowhere, it felt like. Anxiousness overtook me. I was lashing out with my words. Fear and doubt threw me back down into the slimy pit I had just spent hours writing about overcoming. I felt ashamed and humiliated and then humbled and aware that becoming a follower of Jesus did not take away my flaws and failings overnight. But he gives me hope and a way to get back up again when I fall. Most of all, my heart is alive. Alive because I believe and I have a real relationship with God, a foundation in the truth and a foundation in faith in Jesus Christ. I did not grow up in a Christian home. My mom's family, if you go back a bit, had traces of Christian faith. Those trickled into my childhood through spirituals. We sang around the campfire. There was an emphasis on service and community. And there was an idea, a general idea of God that he is loving and universal, but not a God that I could have a personal relationship with. There were strong values of doing what is right, loving others, respecting others, but strong skepticism of religion. And while I was taught that Jesus was a real person and a good person. There was not acceptance that he was actually God, that the Bible is the living word of God, or our need for salvation. I understood that Jesus died, but not that he died for me. My father grew up in a Muslim family. He is Iranian, and I was born in Iran. But I would describe my father as Muslim the way most Americans would call themselves Christian, perhaps. He believed in, a, in God distantly. Um, he called him Allah, though. He spoke casually about Muhammad, a prophet. But he also spoke of Jesus and said he was a real person and a good man. But my father was, by no stretch of the imagination, religious. His ambitions were all very carnal, politics, wealth, power. Um, I was an insecure kid. Before we moved to Hawaii, We lived in Iran and Paris. My dad was very important there, and I was used to going around at his side feeling very important, too. And when we got to Hawaii, I was five, and it was brutal. I was this weird foreign kid whose dad owned a big house on the hill, and the kids teased me relentlessly. I felt awkward and ugly and afraid. This did not change throughout elementary or middle school. My escape and my way to express myself was through music and dance. I would come home every day and go into the living room and just sing. There's a story I read recently by Susanna Spurgeon where she describes hearing the mournful note a log makes on the fire, squeezing out a song as it burns. She says that in the same way, fires of affliction and suffering are meant to draw from us songs of praise. My song then was not praise but it was an expression of my pain and my soul searching for truth. I was a very serious student. I was friends with the teachers, nerdy, not cool. I mainly just wanted to sing and dance. So when I was 13 years old, I was fortunate enough to be able to come here to Idlewild and attend Idlewild Arts. I felt like I found my people. We were the weird artistic outcasts. And there at school, we were... We were all of the artistic mindset to question the world, to tear things apart, evaluate them. But inside, I was still very insecure and hard on myself. I think years of being teased and my parents' divorce left me guarded, untrusting, and with a deep fear that I was a bad person or just not good enough. Those years numbed my heart, and I built up my walls. In my 20s, I hit a crisis point after several hard relationships, and I felt God call me to church. So I researched every church in town, which was Portland, Oregon, where I was living then, and I found the Quaker church. I felt welcome there and comfortable at first, but when it came to Jesus, I just could not get my head around who he was, that he was God, that he died for me, that he rose from the dead. I was a thinker, and you know, Jesus was obviously a great person and a wise man. I knew that growing up, but accepting that he was the Son of God, that he was God, that he rose from the dead, I felt like I needed more proof. If I thought about it logically, it seemed just as reasonable that these things might not be true, so therefore I couldn't accept them as true. After about a year, I left that church. I remember telling the pastor that I loved everyone and I felt God was real, but I just didn't feel comfortable going there when I couldn't fully accept the claims of Jesus. He was sad and troubled and said he was sorry to see me go. I moved to New York to pursue my music career, and it was a hard journey. I got close to achieving my goals many times, but it never seemed to stir my heart, and I often questioned what my goals even were. I met a man, and they got married and had a child, and then a very painful divorce. That was the hardest year of my life. I had no job, no money, my son had just turned two, we went on welfare, And I applied for dozens and dozens of jobs, but I just couldn't get a break. And worst of all was the legal battle. I went into court with my mom's encouragement. Just tell the truth, show the court the facts, and they will do what is right. So I did. And I held on to that, and I was so disillusioned and disappointed, because the more I just kept telling the simple truth, the more they rejected it. I lost every hearing, and I felt totally broken. At one of the last hearings, the judge said to me, Ma'am, I believe you are trying to do what is right for your son, but these things that you say have happened, they just can't be proven. It seems just as reasonable to this court that these things you claim to be true might not be true, so therefore the court can't accept them as true. I remember sitting alone at home that night after the last hearing, replaying the judge's words, and feeling shattered that the truth could be so rejected and very plainly hearing god say to me how do you think i feel and all those years of my questioning him and pushing him away suddenly hit me so hard i felt like i had been jarred awake i don't know that i embraced jesus as my savior at that moment but that was the first major crack in the walls i had built up ten days later I walked into the coffee shop here in town and I was still in a daze from the court hearing and the very nice, handsome man who happened to be sitting there struck up a conversation and asked me if I had any spiritual beliefs. And after listening to me and getting a sense for my intellectual mind and my need for facts and historical references and sound teaching, he said, you know, I think I know a good church for you. So he brought me to IBC. And I like to tell people he dropped me off but he always gets upset when I say that. So he, br- he stayed. He did stay and go to service with me. But then he did leave me here to grow in Christ on my own the last few years. What softened my heart first was the worship, the music, of course. Then it was the friendly people who greeted me every Sunday and made me feel welcome. Then it was Annette saying so sincerely how she was praying for me one morning. Um, it was the first time anyone had really... Single directly singled me out and said that they were praying for me and it meant a lot. And then it was Tim's teaching, always pointing me to God's word first and foremost, and giving me that place to go when I had all my questions. And it was Easter around two years ago when I felt I had a real growing relationship with God. I was speaking to Him, I was praying for the first time in my life. I felt Him working in my life, and I knew I was in His care. Tim's message one Sunday was about two men walking on the road to Emmaus, meeting Jesus, walking along with him right at their side, but not recognizing him. And Tim asked the congregation, some of you may feel that you're on that road right now. And I remember standing in the back there, and I knew that's exactly where I was. So I pictured walking with Jesus on that road, still carrying the weight of my fear and my questions. And he just took each one. He answered every question. My walls just crumbled and fell away. I felt a weight lift. And a peace came over me that I have never felt. And deep in my heart, I knew I had the truth. Jesus is God. He came to earth, and he died for my sins so that I might be free. And then he rose again. He is alive, and knowing that he is alive is what makes my heart alive. How I would describe accepting Jesus in my heart fully is like this. I felt like I was lost on a long road, afraid to open my eyes, because deep down I wanted so badly for him to be there. So I opened my eyes, thinking I would have to stare far off at this glorious thing, And when I finally opened my eyes and looked, he was right there. And it feels the same way now when I get scared and I pray. And I ask God, where are you? What do you want me to do? And I pray sometimes like he is so far away and I hope he hears me. And when I stop and wait and listen, he is always right there. As Kai said, he's right here. (laughs) I realize now how long he has been with me watching me wander so patiently, just waiting for me, calling out to me through music, through people who have come in and out of my life. The moments I take time to be quiet and stop to look at nature, the world just glows with His grace. It literally glows. Pastor Tim gave me this Psalm at a time recently when I was anxious and seeking God's guidance. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our Lord. I love you, Lord. I trust you. I put my life completely in your hands. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Thank you for the truth that is your word. I have no way to repay you but to believe in you and to share that hope with others. Please help me do that every day.
0: Amen.
2: Like radiant dimmer.
0: said, I am the resurrection. I am life. Do you believe this? He is risen. risen Let's pray together. What glorious truth, Lord Jesus. What glorious truth. Your death was no accident. And today there is no mourning for us on this morning. We hold in our hearts a hope that lives and never comes to an end. And you made us a promise that can never be broken. If we believe in you, we live. This morning if you have come to Idaho Bible Church and you were not sure about the claims of Jesus, but perhaps God has been speaking into your heart and into your mind in these moments and it has all come clear for you as it did for Kassan. In this moment right now, you can change your eternity through faith in Jesus. He asks you to believe in him. To believe in his death on the cross for you. Paying your sin debt so that you wouldn't have to. And then proving that he had the power over your sin. By rising from the dead. Conquering the grave. And giving you his life. If you believe this today. Then you are his. Talk to him. Tell him that this is what you believe. And know what Kassan knows. What so many in this room know. The assurance, the living hope of life in this life and life after this life. Let us help you to grow in your new relationship with Jesus. If you have just made that decision, we'd love to help you grow in this relationship. For all of us who know you, Lord Jesus, as the risen Jesus, we celebrate you. We love you, but only because you loved us first. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen.